0: When rest is only ever spoken of as something positive and a lack of rest is only something that's negative and damaging and dangerous, then it's going to be hard to find Christian writing speaking about the dangers of, let's say, too much rest or an aversion towards work and diligence. I feel like we're
1: in a cultural moment where the discussion is so heavily emphasized on rest. And I think that we're a little out of balance there, and my hope is that This discussion today can hopefully inspire people where they see the value in work and the blessing that that can provide for themselves and for others.
2: On this episode of Theology for the People, I'm joined by two friends, Mike Neglia, who's been a recurring guest. He is the pastor of Calvary Cork in Cork, Ireland, also a student at Western Seminary working on his master's there. And I'm joined by another friend who is a member of my church here in Longmont. His name is Tyler Foose. Tyler also attended Denver Seminary, studying theology there, and he is currently a business owner. And his reasons for getting into business were actually driven by his theology. And so the topic we're looking at is the question of have we, as a Christian community in our culture today, overemphasized Sabbath to the detriment of teaching about and extolling the goodness of work, and the importance of diligence according to the Bible. So what is the Bible's teaching about working hard diligence? What does it have to say about Sabbath? And what does it say about sloth and sluggardliness? And why is there so little talk about this in modern Christian discourse? So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Check the show notes for a few resources, and I'll be back at the end with a few closing thoughts. Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Katie, and I'm joined today by two friends, but also two of the hardest working people I know, and they are Tyler Foose and Mike Neglia. Hey guys, thanks for being on the program.
0: Yeah, Nick, thanks it's a pleasure. had to carve out some time from my busy schedule to be here.
2: Yeah, I bet you did. I just, you know what I did? I just woke up earlier. Have you? Maybe you <laughs> should try that, Mike. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah. Hey, maybe we'll bring this up later on in the conversation, but you can ask me what I did yesterday.
2: Oh, well, let's just, I just, I don't want to keep the tension. Let's just go. What did you do yesterday, Mike?
0: Yesterday, I took the day off work and I went to a spa. It was my wife's birthday. And so it was a, a scheduled, planned, celebratory time. I think there's times in the Bible for feasting and, and for fasting. And so this was a, a time of indulgence and celebration, but you know. On on the drive back, I was like, you know, tomorrow I got to record a podcast about like the importance of like diligence and hard work, and yes. you know, I'm just like stinking like a like a lavender scented spa day.
2: <laughs> so you let her go to the spa too? Yeah, she, I, thought yeah, she, right.
0: yeah. I thought it would only I be right. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I know that yeah, she like was I, there. But I, I thought paid maybe for like she just two massages, and instead of like me getting two in a row, <laughs> I thought it'd be nice if she got one as well. Yeah.
2: Well, the reason I asked you guys to be on this podcast today, it actually was spurred on by a discussion that I had with Tyler about a week ago. And what I want to talk about is what does the Bible say about diligence and hard work? And Tyler, maybe you could just tell our listeners like, just in a nutshell, what was that conversation we had that got us talking about this? And what are some of the things that have been stirring in your heart and mind that got us on the subject?
1: Yeah. So... About a week ago, I received an email from Denver Seminary, and that's where I attended seminary for a few years, and they were doing a symposium on faith, work, and rest. And I think that was a really important topic. And one of the things that I shared with you is that I just feel like we're in a cultural moment where the discussion is so heavily emphasized on rest. And it seems that so many young men that I talk to are Just constantly fatigued and the more that I kind of looked into it, I I started feeling like there were reasons for this, but I see this every every time that I interview somebody, the first thing I ask is like, what are you really looking for in a career? And more times than not, it's this work life balance. Like, yeah, I want to work, but I really want rest. Like I value my time. And I think that we're, we live in a culture where it's very much about consuming and it's about being served rather than serving. And so I think that we're a little out of balance there. And my hope is that this discussion today can hopefully inspire people where they see the value in work and the blessing that that can provide for themselves and for others.
2: You mentioned that you attended Denver Seminary, but you're not working in what we might call vocational ministry. You own a business. Maybe you could just speak about that for a second.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was at seminary for about three years. And one of the things that I I kept hearing is this idea of bivocational ministry, that the future of the church, if you want to be involved in ministry, one great way to do that is to start a business and get it to a point where it's profitable and eventually can remove yourself away from the business and kind of getting, get into ministry that route. And so that's the route that I've, I've taken. And, you know, my mindset has really shifted over time as I've worked in the business because I see the business in a lot of ways, as my ministry, I've had the opportunity to pray over clients, pray over some of our employees and you know, sometimes people don't actually know that I'm engaging in ministry, but just the way that I try to, to serve our clients, serve our employees, serve our, you know, artisans. So yeah, that, that's the route that I, that I took I'm in the, you know, private sector and I'm able to utilize that platform to spread the gospel. You know, I mean,
2: I would say that that idea is really inherent to how the Reformers, you know, that was a big part of the Reformation, was actually changing the way that people think about work. That it isn't that there's a sacred-secular divide, but the idea of soli deo gloria, the fifth sola of the Reformation, that doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't... First of all, I don't think it's understood well by people. They think, okay, everything to the glory of God, cool, got it, move on. (laughs) But I don't think they really spend time understanding what the Reformers meant by it. And what they meant is that every part of life, including work, and, and I think primarily they had work in mind when they said, say, soli Deo gloria, is that every part of work, every vocation can be done to the glory of God if you're serving people and doing what God has called you to do. And, and so they really focused on that. But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Mike, I know you've you've put a lot of thought into this idea, both of, of rest, but also, like I said, earlier, you're a very hardworking person and you've probably put some theological thought into that as well. Mike, let me ask you this. Do you think that there is a current overemphasis or perhaps like a fad towards focusing a lot on rest and, and Sabbath or, or is it a good thing?
0: Oh, I, I mean, yeah, you're putting me on the, on the horns of a dilemma. You know, I don't know if I should call it a fad or, but yeah, I think there's a, definitely there's a, a re-engagement with the idea of of rest or even the terminology of of Sabbath. And maybe there's certain seminaries, there's certain hubs that are really like hyping this a lot. And they're fine. I think the main thing is that, yeah, there's some like theological truth to this. And we might talk about, yeah, the, the theology of of rest, but it's really found like a, a fertile soil in that people love hearing about it. And it's like it's received as as if it is a a means of grace or a spiritual discipline or something that like in and of itself is is valuable and formative. And I think that rest is valuable as a secondary aspect to work being valuable. And again, we're at a particular time and space and we're living in in an era that has seen the value of 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 rest. And probably it's because the generations that come before saw value in work and work alone. But it seems as if, you know, uh, is it what he- Hegel talks about? There's there's a thesis and then there's an antithesis and then eventually there's, there's synthesis. You know, I'd hope that, you know, the, the three of us, maybe we'd work towards some kind of a synthesis of seeing both the value of, of rest, but as a secondary good that's connected with the value of work.
2: Mm-hmm. That's really good. You know, Mike, you're the only person I know who's ever preached on the topic of sloth. And I think that's actually surprising because the Bible has, especially in the book of Proverbs, a fair amount to say about sloth. And the reason I heard you speak on is because I was teaching 2 Thessalonians. And I'm like, man, there are very few resources out here that talk about slothfulness. I knew that you had done a series on the seven deadly sins and that sloth was one of them. So can we just hear a little bit? about what is sloth and what does the Bible say about it?
0: Well, sure thing. Essentially, yeah, sloth, it's, it's an old fashioned word. It's not, I mean, maybe you couldn't find many resources on sloth because people don't use that language anymore. But, but I think that you're right, that it's, it's not, like it, when, when rest is only ever spoken of as something positive, and a lack of rest is only something that's negative and damaging and dangerous, then it's gonna be hard to find Christian writing speaking about the the dangers of, let's say, too much rest or too much or 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 an aversion towards work and and diligence. So, I mean, it, it seems like it's laziness, it feels like it's laziness, but I think it's more than that. It's kind of like a like an indifference. It's it's not it it's it's not that there's like an inability to work. And of course, certain people have have illnesses of the body or mind that limit their ability to work. And that's maybe not the same as as sloth or or laziness. But there is like a, a heart attitude of yeah, indifference or a lack of care or concern that expresses itself out as this slackness, slothfulness. You know, there's the sloth, which is kind of a cute, furry animal. But the the New Testament also the Proverbs There's a sloth, which is a cute, fuzzy mammal. But Proverbs also speaks about slothfulness, but also sluggardliness. And I think sluggard, like slug, is like a slimy, gross (laughs) invertebrate. And sluggard is another one of the themes of Proverbs. Uh, Derek Kidner is a Hebrew scholar. He He defines a sluggard as a sluggard will not begin things, will not finish things, will not face things. All that a sluggard knows is delicious drowsiness. All he asks for is a little bit of a respite. He won't commit himself, but he deceives with the smallness of his surrender. By inches and inches, his opportunities slip away. So I think essentially sluggardliness or slothfulness, like it's, it's always taking the easy way out. It's, it's making soft choices. It's taking the path of least resistance again and again and again. So it's not a matter of, What is right? It's not a matter of what's honorable. It's not a matter of like, how can I bring Gloria to Dio? How can Mm -hmm. I glorify God? But it's like, what's what is the easiest? In our day, we're big on like life hacks or cheat codes or shortcuts, and avoiding sloth or sluggardliness. Like that's an investment into the future because all that we want right now is instant gratification, and whether that instant gratification looks like you know, something outrightly sinful, like pornography, or if it's something like morally neutral, like video games or Netflix binges, each one of those things like it shortcuts the, the long process to the endorphin hit. It's like, you know, if you want the satisfaction of like accomplishing something, well, then my friend go accomplish something. But video games or or these types of things, like you win something, you have a victory, but you didn't actually do anything to, to mm-hmm. get that victory. And again, I could go on for 44 more minutes, but I gotta, I'll, I'll stop right there. Those are some of my introductory thoughts on slothfulness.
2: Yeah, no, thanks, Mike. That's really good. Tyler, you know, part of our conversation that led to this, and we're gonna get to looking at some scriptures here in a moment and, and moving forward with the discussion, but I just wanna say this last part is that you had mentioned to me in passing something that I thought was pretty important, and that was that at times as a member of, of different churches, you've sometimes wondered if the, the staff, you know, is hardworking and diligent. And tell me, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've, I've attended a few different churches and one, one in particular, you know, as it continued to grow, I knew the pastor, I knew he was on fire for the Lord. But sometimes I would walk into the church and just observe the folks working there. And it, it felt like a lot of times that they were just going through the motions, that they were uninspired, that they needed a, a reminder of, you know, how beautiful the work is that they do. And, you know, I say this from a place of I've been there before, and I think that's why I'm so passionate about it. I've been in a season in my life where I was uninspired and I was bored and it, and it does lead to destruction. It just, it doesn't lead to a good path. And so, you know, that there's been a lot of things that have sparked this conversation. I I jotted down a few notes, but you know, even like I said, when I'm interviewing, especially a lot of kids coming out of college, one of the big things that are really being taught is again, this, this idea of a work life balance. Now, of course. As an employer, I think it's really important that my team understands like I want you to rest, you need to rest, you need to take the time off. I like, I don't want this to come off as like I'm trying to just, you know, get as much out of everyone that that works for me that I can. That that's not at all what I want. But I do know that to your point, Mike, like when you accomplish something, there's just something powerful about that. There's something inspirational about that. People want to follow you. It gives you confidence. It produces, you know, fruit. And so you know, when you attend a church where you're, you're, I, you're, you're noticing a trend that you know, many of the people that work there, they'll do as little as possible. They'll kind of check in at nine, leave at five or whatever their set hours are. They'll kind of go through the motions, but they're not really like accepting responsibility or accountability. They're not really like owning it. Like it's theirs. Like this is your calling. God has put you in this place for a reason. Go own it trust him. He will guide you. And just the beauty that comes from that is unbelievable. And I just want people to experience that because again, I've been in a season in my life where I was just uninspired. It was hard to get up in the morning. It was like, why am I doing this? And I think the more that we can renew our minds and and remember what Christ has done for us, what he did, how he led his life. I mean, this is literally God we're talking about. God incarnate. I love the heart of the Lord. Mark 10 45 says something like, you know, for even, for the son, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus modeled this perfect balance of work and rest where he is a carpenter for about 30 years working a blue collar industry and. You know it's not necessarily that appealing to a lot of people, but he's but he's working hard and and there's there's beauty in that and he goes into his ministry and he's he's washing feet and he's surrounding himself with sinners and you know was obedient to the Father all the way to the cross and so for me, it's like man if God himself humbled himself to do that, and if he says it's good, and if work was good before the fall, and we know you know, in Revelation twenty-two, three 3 and 5, that when we're with the Father in heaven, we will continue to work, you know, and serve and reign with him in glory. And so I just think work's a beautiful thing. And I think rest is too. And we see moments where Jesus leaves and he's in prayer and he's in solitude. And so if Jesus did that, how much more do we need to? But again, it's, are you working hard enough? Are you inspired enough? Do you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it Are you working hard enough to the point where you actually need rest? Yeah, that's. And I think, yeah, I think where we are, we're not there yet right now, culturally. I just don't
0: think we're quite there yet. Yeah, we're we're not there to the point of needing rest. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Like, what are you resting from? I think a lot of people that I talk to, you know, a lot of the men I talk to, I think they're fatigued from things unrelated to work. I think they're fatigued from social media and the pressure that puts on them. I think they're fatigued from, you know, what COVID has really done to our culture, how it has divided us. It's, 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 there's a spirit of fear and there's a spirit of isolation right now. Um, and it's, it's to the point where, you know, you brought up the analogy of the sluggard where it's like, you know, delicious drowsiness and, and uh, let's see, path of Least resistance. I think that this has paralyzed a lot of people, and it's made it challenging for them to to get up. And so I just want to remind people of what Jesus did Himself and what He's done for us, and that we can live by the Spirit and that work is beautiful and it does produce great yeah, things. Yeah,
2: we we can get into and I I want to by the end of this at least talk about you know what is the theology of work and as you mentioned like there was work before the curse of the fall the curse is not that you will now have to work the ground. The curse is that you will work the ground with sweat and toil. And and yet, of course, the first picture we get of God, right, is a God who has who is working and creating. And then when he makes the pinnacle of his creation, whereas everything else he's spoken to being, in this case, he gets his hands in the dirt. And I love this phrase I heard. It said, the first picture of God we get is a God who has dirt under his fingernails. He's a God who gets his hands dirty and creates people, puts his mouth to their mouth and breathes, right? He's actively involved and he's working. And, and yeah, I want to talk about that more, especially in comparison to some of the other, what we call, um, origin myths, right? So thinking about what, what do other philosophies and beliefs think about work? Because they all do have thoughts about work. You know, the Greeks and the, the looking at the far Eastern philosophies and religions. But before I, I just want to say one more thing anecdotally, and then let's dive into looking at some scriptures. And that that is this, that uh, I have noticed, of course, that there is a lot of talk about burnout, right? There are online courses about how to not burn out. There are diagnostic tools. Here's five things to know if you are burnt out. And uh, I, I remember working with a guy many years ago. This was uh, way back when I lived in Europe. And he was always telling me that he was burnt out. And I was so confused because I was like, I don't, I don't know why you're burnt out. Like, what are you burnt out from? And so I started kind of slowly taking responsibility off of his plate until I got to the point where he actually had almost no responsibility. And I remember asking him like, okay, now tell me, are you still burnt out? And he said, yeah, I'm just on the edge of burnout. And I said, well, it's certainly not because of work. I mean, I'm sure there are other factors in your life that are contributing to this you know, he was newly married and I'm sure that that was part of it. And I just kind of wanted him to understand that, well, it's not your job that's burning you out. It's clearly something else because, you know, like you said, you're not, you don't need to rest from your job because you're not really doing much. And I remember coming across something that said that when, when a lot of people talk about burnout, yes, there is such a thing as overdoing it, you know, adrenal burnout and all of these things. But a lot of times when people kind of colloquially talk about being burnt out, it's actually more of an issue of like you said, being uninspired. It's more of an issue of perhaps being exhausted from other other things in your life. But this person even said in many cases he thinks it's actually a discouragement, right? That you're not seeing fruit from your labors or that you're not passionate, maybe, you know, something like that. Any any of you have either of you have thoughts about that?
1: Yes. I think of the life of Abraham and, and the fact that he was given this promise that you know he never really fully got to see. but I think just just trusting and knowing that you know what you're doing is good, your your work is good, it will produce great things, and you might not see it in this lifetime, but you have to you know have faith that what
0: you're doing, what the Lord's doing with your life is meaningful. Yeah, <clears throat> I would contribute that. I think about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I had a time when I was pretty worn out or or maybe discouraged. I I discerned in me just kind of a general weariness and I would not seize opportunities for ministry as quickly as I as I used to and there was a couple different times when after, you know, teaching the evening Bible study because of another commitment, I had to kind of get in the car and kind of race home right afterwards and not stay late talking to people. And then I kind of caught myself being like really, really relieved as I was leaving. And I, I, I I said, you know, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a healthy thing to be relieved to, to not have to talk to people. And so I kind of, you know, did a little reading on the whole, you know, burnout thing. This is back before every second book that was published was about burnout. Yeah. But so I, I that was kind of my little experience with it, which I think upon reflection is simply, yeah, discouragement or operating. Anyway, fast forward a little bit. And then I'm at a, a pastor's conference in mainland Europe. And I'm speaking with somebody. And he mentioned that he had gone through a time of burnout recently. And I said, oh, hey, yeah, me too. And he's like, oh, tell me about yours. And I was like, well, I just you know, was glad to leave church early when I got the chance. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I, I couldn't speak for like two months. <laughs> and I was like laying in bed and like suicide seemed like the only way out. And I'm like, okay, okay. I was discouraged. You may have experienced burnout. And so I, I hate to, to make suicide a punchline for, for a joke. But this was like me maybe like being really soft on myself and and then considering that he and I were in the same category. And certainly that's that's not. So he experienced, you know, essentially what what sounds quite parallel to like is like a mental breakdown. Uh, whereas, yeah, like I said, I was just a little bit tired and worn out and discouraged.
2: Yeah. And I, I want to make that clear. Like, yeah. I do believe that burnout is a real thing and a serious thing. Like you're saying, like that person was experiencing something very serious. And I've heard other stories of similar things. And yet perhaps the word is used sometimes in ways that aren't really describing burnout, but something else. Or maybe some people are a little too eager to apply it to themselves.
0: Yes, yes, yes. There's, there's some people, yeah, maybe you, the person that you were talking about, I know a lot of people like that person, that the, the fear of burning out is oft quoted. And there's a thought that's like, I don't think you're a candidate for this. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a, a danger of working too hard that I see in you, or at least in this present sense. Now, again, that's, we have, we live compartmentalized lives and myself as a pastor, I see, I guess I'm, I see the slice of their life, which is like church volunteering and they might not volunteer very much at church, but there is layers upon layers of maybe they're caring for a sick parents or they're, you know, there's this, there's all these other factors. And so, uh, yeah, of course, all these things want to be very cautious that I'm not being dismissive of other people's hardships that they're undergoing. Um. But yeah, sometimes I look at kind of like the the church rota or the volunteer rota, and it's like, it sure would be great to get somebody else to help there. But when someone says, oh, no, I can't, I'm, I'm afraid of burning out, it's like...
2: Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about what does the Bible say about the importance of work. I want to look at some specific Bible verses and then kind of maybe pull back and look at the big picture. We've already alluded to it a couple of times, but we'll do that anyway. So let's start with you, Mike. Mike, give us a or two Bible verses about the importance of work.
0: Well, all right. Proverbs 24,
2: verses 30 to 34. We will be right back after these messages from our sponsors.
3: Hi, friends. Brian Broderson here, and I want to let you know about the CGN International Pastors and Leaders Conference coming up here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, June 25th through the 28th. Our theme this year is The Spirit of the Lord is Upon Me. And oh, how we need the Spirit of God uh, to be upon us in these days. So we're going to be digging down into that great text from Isaiah 61. We're going to be looking at all the different facets of it. we got a number of great voices that are going to be speaking to us. We're going to have times of prayer and worship and lots of fellowship and enjoying meals together and all kinds of wonderful things. So if you would like to be part of This conference coming up in June, uh, please get signed up today. You can do that at conference.calvarychapel.com. Once again, that is the CGN International Pastors and Leaders Conference, June 25th through the 28th. Hope to see you there.
2: Mike, give us a or two Bible verses about the importance of work.
0: Well, all right, Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34. You, you gave me an inch and I took a mile. You said oh. one or two verses <laughs> and I'm going to give you four. I passed the field of a sluggard by the vineyard of a man who was lacking in scents, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man, so here's a little kind of vignette, a little a little story of just seeing evidence of lack of diligence and lack of care, and the the field was overgrown, it was useless, and also in a in a land where the land literally is so important in tending the the promised land is an act of like honor or respect to God the giver, this is like doubly shameful it's bad for the person and also it's dishonouring to God so I see that this is not really a doctrinal statement. Maybe that's what Tyler is going to bring in. But here we just have like a little just glimpse into like a poorly tended vineyard as a microcosm of like a a badly managed life. Because it says it wasn't just that the guy was, was a sluggard. It says that he was a man who was lacking sense. And because of his lack of sense, the field was in a dishonorable state.
2: Great. Yeah, Tyler... Give us some more scriptures there's a lot so we'll just keep moving through what
1: yes yeah, so yeah I have a couple here one would be proverbs 1423 uh, this is the NIV version, but it says all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty I, I personally love that proverb I, I just think it's true and You know, it's, it's funny, one of the blessings of being a business owner, one of the things I love the most about is you have so many people that will talk to you almost every day, asking about your journey. What did it take to take that risk and just do it? And there's so many people who say they want to do it. And I I talk to people, like I said, almost daily about this. And I, I can think of a couple individuals. One who been talking about starting a business for about a decade now and. I mean, it has a business plan and everything is buttoned up and absolutely perfect, but just hasn't taken the, you know, the action to actually do it. And uh, yeah, it, it is easier. It's quite a bit easier to, to talk about doing it. But I think it, once you start doing it and you start taking the action, it becomes easier. You know, you become less afraid. You become more confident, more resilient. And, you know, according to this proverb, more profitable. You know, you don't have to worry as much about your finances typically. And the reason Um, that matters, I'll
2: I'll jump in, is Proverbs 12, verse 24 says that diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. And so the idea there is that, you know, you'd say, well, why why does it matter if maybe somebody says, you know, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to have money. I don't care about those things. I'd rather enjoy the many other aspects of life. And I think that there's something, you know, noble about that as well. But I think there's this other part of this, right? That, okay, but here's the result of that. Here's the result of of laziness and, and not wanting to be diligent is that it ends in forced labor. In other words, you end up being dictated to by someone else, whereas diligent hands will rule. Now, not everyone's called to be a leader or a ruler. And yet, you know, those who, who do work hard are going to have the opportunity to have influence hmm. beyond just their own life. They'll have influence on... You know those immediately around them, and perhaps even in greater spheres. And so I think, as as the people of God who want to see the kingdom of God move forward, I think that that should be important to us, right? And and having that sort of influence. I've heard it said that leadership, at its essence, is influence. And of course, you can influence for selfish reasons. You can influence for you know ungodly reasons. But you can also influence for very godly reasons. And and I see that with the Apostle Paul. Right here's a man who said he said by the grace of God I am what I am right so grace is a free gift it's not something you earn so there's God's grace and he says and his grace to me was not without effect but I worked harder than everyone else yet not I but the grace of God that was in me so this is very interesting idea that there's this free gift that's given and yet the effect of that gift is that it empowers you so second Timothy Chapter 2, verse 1, I believe it says, Be strengthened in the grace yeah. of the Lord Jesus Christ. But strengthened to do what? Well, in the context, he's telling Timothy to be strengthened in order to do what God has placed before him to do, to carry out the calling God has placed on his life. And so, grace, while being a free gift that we passively receive, it is also something which has this effect in our lives of moving us forward, and empowering us to action and doing things and, and what are those things well in Paul's case it was influence not for his own benefit but for the benefit of the kingdom and for the benefit of others so we'll just keep going around mike do you got any other verses that you would point us to
0: well big picture and tyler's referenced this and and you as well nick so forgive me for treading over this ground once more but yeah that the bible begins with with a god who who creates First with his voice, but then, as you mentioned, eventually with his hands, and then we're made in his image as as workers. And you, you know, yesterday, in addition to the the spa day, my wife and I also like walked through this like this walled garden and really appreciating. She's she's super into that stuff, and I'm I'm learning to appreciate it as an act of love and service. And so I'm appreciating the gardens, and she's talking about that and you know, just had a brief conversation about like, this is what Eden was like. And, you know, God made these people with this like satisfying job. And my wife loves gardening. It gives her, it gives her great joy and it is work. And it also is immediately satisfying. And so that's, that's how our story started with satisfying work. And then in Genesis chapter three, we have sin enter the story. Work continues, but it just seems like it's far less satisfying. And I don't know if this actually happens, but I've seen it in, in movies, so it must be true. But like the the kind of the prison camps or the the chain gang, when as a punishment or just as part of the process where they have to dig a ditch all day and then the next day they have to fill the ditch in. Just like all of that labor, all of that work, and there's nothing at the end of it. And that is torturous. That is a horrible thing. And, you know, now we're somewhere in between. We're somewhere in between like the, the rewarding work of Genesis two, and then the fruitless work of the prisoners who are shoveling dirt back into their freshly dug ditch. And God is working with us as we're bringing significance and meaning and beauty out of this world, but it's never going to be ultimately bearing fruit or flourishing until the new heavens and the new earth. But anyway, each of you guys mentioned Genesis 2 and 3. Yeah. What else do you guys see in that story about the theology of work? Yeah. Well,
2: first, I want to actually contrast it with other origin myths. So the Greek philosophers, and of course, Paul and the other New Testament writers are in a very you know Hellenistic context. And so that Greek attitude about work is very much at the forefront of many people's minds, right? When he's writing to the Thessalonians, right? And they had a problem there with people who were not working, perhaps even because they thought that Jesus was going to come back, you know, tomorrow at 2 p.m. So they said, what's the point in going to work today? Um, But Paul says, no, 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 like we have a different theology of work than, than the world around us. And yeah, so what was that Hellenistic origin myth? It was basically that That gods had created human beings to work so that they wouldn't have to, so that they could just hang out on Mount Olympus and drink wine and have like orgies and weird parties. And the goal of life, therefore, is to become like the gods. We even, that saying has bled into our vernacular. You know, I'm living like a god. What does that mean? Well, it means that I'm like sitting next to the pool, getting Mm -hmm. drunk in the sun, right? Like, and and that was exactly how they thought about it in ancient Greece, which was, yeah, to live like the gods means to not do work and they stratified work into different strata of value, right? So they said that the if you're if you have to work, the most noble kind of work is intellectual work, white collar stuff. This is why we read about it says in Acts chapter seventeen that the philosophers in Athens would just go up to Mars Hill and they would just talk philosophy all day. Hmm. And, you know, people would like follow them around and like pay them, they'd be paying them money just to listen to them or to be their disciples. But that was the idea, like intellectual work is of the highest value. And then you go down the tier to where lower forms of work, in their opinion, would be work that gets your hands dirty, what we call blue collar work, you know, whether that's construction, et cetera. But that's what's so brilliant about Genesis is that it, it shows God And he gets his hands dirty. He doesn't only speak. He forms the man with his own hands. And I'll I'll just give one last one. And that is the Far Eastern philosophies, their view, you know, if you look into Buddhism, for example, has this view that everything that we see is essentially the matrix, right? So what you see in the world is not really real. It's just like you think you're in it but you need to overcome it you actually need to transcend it that's where the idea of transcendence comes in and so like for example if you feel pain they would say well, that's just the illusion of pain pain is not necessarily real because your body in this physical world isn't the highest reality you need to overcome it with your mental powers and transcend it and so essentially that you know you don't see a lot of buddhist monks like you know starting businesses and like painting houses and stuff right so they the, the idea is like sit under a tree for five years and don't eat food is considered a really big accomplishment because, well, you've transcended this physical reality and you've gotten in touch with the spiritual reality, which is higher. And so, again, their view of work is that work is a curse, it's unnecessary, it's not real. The view of the Greeks then would be that work is for losers, and the best thing you could do is to not work and have other people work for you so that you can live like a god but anyway tyler give us some more bible
0: yeah no it was really interesting I, yeah, I sometimes i forget that like um, i'm in a podcast think, right uh, now i'm just like i just want to listen to nick and then it's like oh wait wait this is this is live
1: yes no 100 percent. that was really interesting i liked it yeah, another one that we could go over is Colossians three twenty three through 24, which says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that what, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And uh, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I really like that one. There was, there was a gentleman I was, I was speaking to the other day and I can certainly relate to this and. He was struggling just at work and, and with his boss and, you know, kind of uncertain as to like what his future holds. And, you know, I think this right here would have been something really good to share with him, which is, hey, I know that, you know, sometimes it feels like you're serving your boss and you are, you know, in, in, in some ways. But just remember that like literally all everything that we're doing is for the Lord. And so I think that that can make it a little bit easier, you know, if if you're struggling with you know, colleagues or boss, just to remember this verse here. So someone told um, me,
2: someone told me the other day that that verse is his life verse. And I gave him a hard time. I'm like, that's your life verse. Not anything about like, you know, like what God did to save your soul. And he was like, well, the reason it's my life verse is because when I was younger, I really was struggling with laziness. And I thought, oh, okay, well, never mind. Sorry. I take it back. (laughs) Sorry for my, (laughs) sorry for my insulting you. (laughs) But I'm, you know, I was kind of glad that God had done that in him. All right, I got one, and then I'm going to ask Mike some more questions, but here's my last one. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways, and be wise. The ant has no commander, no overseer, or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Now, here's why I think that one's interesting, because it talks about the idea of initiating, right? Like self Self-motivation, self-diligence, like managing yourself, not needing someone else to like tell you, you know, hey, you need to do this or do that, but it's encouraging you to look at the ant, see their diligence, see their preparation, right? They're thinking ahead. They're not just reacting. So I think that's really a helpful verse. Okay. So Mike, what is the difference between hard work and overworking?
0: Ooh, okay. Can I say something about the ant? Yeah, please. Well, okay. I'm just going to take this one for the team. Sometimes missionaries can be really really lazy. And <laughs> I have been, you know, living a- away from home for for 20 years. And okay, an ant is noteworthy and we're supposed to go to the ant and learn from the ant because the ant doesn't have a supervisor and the ant still works hard. And some Christians take the opportunity to be employed by people who don't manage them or supervise them. And then they go to a different a different country and essentially their job is to write email support letters or have a really like killer blog documenting their ministry. When sometimes when you interact with them, you learn that they actually aren't working that hard at all, but they're very good at presenting themselves as if they do. So... I've I've known people that have, you know, taken missionary support, live elsewhere, and then are working on like a novel, like a fantasy novel. And that takes up so many hours of every day. And, you know, they then attend a church and then take pictures of themselves at that church service, implying that they're deeply involved in the life of this church, when in reality, they're in solitude, pursuing their own interests. So yes, we should go to the ant And yes, we should learn about self-motivated, diligent work that's not based on um, your boss watching over the shoulder or or any of those things. I just, you know, I want this to get out there. I want missionaries to actually feel, okay, I want some missionaries to feel like, oh, hey, they're on to us. I want other missionaries to hear the exact opposite and be like, hey, listen, your labor is not in vain. We love you. We appreciate you. So anyway, I, it's Nick, you gave a big grin to that. Have you encountered such a thing?
2: Yeah. So I was a missionary in Hungary for 10 years. And what was really funny, I had this guy. I hope he listens to this. His name's Yanchi, dear, dear brother. And so- I'm not going to say the name of my guy. Well, no, 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 no my like, guy, I'll tell you why I'm telling you yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah, And that is because he would call me sometimes at like like 10 a.m. And he'd be like, hey, did I wake you up? And I was so insulted. And I, I still to this day, am like, Yanchi, like, maybe don't start conversations like that at ten a <laughs> at ten AM. That's so insulting. Like, what the heck, man? But he did it all the time. Like he c I think one time even like near eleven. Hey, I'm not waking you up, am I? I'm like, Okay, that that's not nice to that you even ask that, right? And and so I I was like, Why do you always ask me that? He's like, Well, cause I've I've known a lot of missionaries over the years and you know, they kinda they kind of just like take it easy <laughs> and sleep in. I don't want to wake them up, you know, at the crack of ten. And so <laughs> I, I just thought that was really interesting. He said, "Yeah, you know, like a lot of missionaries, they don't have stuff to do, so they just go like." He goes, "I knew these one guys like they saw every movie that ever came out in the theater, ever. Like you know, I mean, they would go sometimes to two movies a day, and to me that was that was just like totally foreign. Partly because I was in a church where the the lead pastor the first couple of years before I." planted a church myself. The lead pastor is a very diligent man and made sure that we all were working hard under his leadership. And so anyway, all that to say, yeah, I have absolutely encountered that. I I think that that's a good point that you're making. I think that that's not only true of missionaries. I remember someone telling me this. They said, oh, well, you you should call that guy on the phone. You know, now he's at the point he was an assistant pastor. He goes, you know what it's like being an assistant pastor. You just kind of like sit in your office and mess around and read and do nothing all day. And I was like, well, first of all, I don't know what that's like. And <laughs> that doesn't seem like it should be that way. Okay, so okay. we were talking so, about what's the difference between in hard the, work the, and overworking.
0: There. Yes, yeah. Well, I'm I'm learning that, Nick, you know. I, you know... As maybe has come across, I think that, you know, time is short. We're we're healthy for a limited time only. And we want to make the most of the, the time and the energy that we have. And I certainly do. I think I, you know, I, I read a book uh, maybe, what, 20 years ago that has influenced me called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And even if you don't read the book, just consider the title, you know, Don't Waste Your Life. Watch so the YouTube video. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly... I certainly, yeah, get on YouTube, watch that one video, and then get off. <laughs> you, yeah. yeah, so I certainly don't want to waste my life. I want to use, again, the the health. And the older I get, you know, the older I get, the smarter I get, you know? And I want to use, like, the intellect that God's given me. And then also the older I get, like, the more influence that I have. I want to steward that well. And I want to be able to it makes me happy to say yes to people when I'm asked to help for things I, I I love being able to contribute and and to help. sometimes I have to say no because of previous yeses that that I have said. so anyway, I guess i'm prone i'm I, I veer towards overcommitting and having, let's say an unhealthy attitude towards work, which is doing too much of it. and I tell you here's here's when this really came to a fruition was like you know, let's say March of 2020, our family, we had kind of a a Mondays were our day off our Sabbath day. We try to do a kind of a family activity every Monday. And then when the pandemic started, um, I was just like, listen, the world is ending. We have no more time for days off. Like everyone is going to be dead. We have to get out there and evangelize and do all these sort of things. And so I, I basically stopped taking a day off, like in March of 2020. And only only built in a weekly day off maybe six months ago and I don't say that as a boast I say that to my shame that I just kind of was kind of constantly on and you know snappy and and stressed I suppose I felt that it was my job to save the world and so I was you know can't take a day off and so anyway I was dishonoring to my wife I was unavailable to my kids and it was not good because I was Doing so much stuff, we would take days off, but it was not a regularly scheduled thing. And oftentimes, it would be kind of a surprise. Ah, oh, let's just go go for a walk together, rather than the consistency and the regularity, which is good for a whole family to have a regular day off. So I'm not opposed to them. I just sinfully ignored it for a long time, and it wasn't until I actually was reading this book with our our volunteers in the church. This book here, it's called Zeal Without Burnout by Christopher Ash that in preparation to to bring the team through it, that I was like, oh my goodness, I need to get back into this rhythm. And so this book has truly helped me and my family and my wife and kids have benefited from a regular insistence upon Mondays, Mondays off. So kind of a long-winded non-answer there, Nick. I think work is important. I'm prone to do too much of it. And... Zeal Without Burnout and related stuff has helped me to, to rightly balance that. I think even the title, again, the title Don't Waste Your Life is a great title. And the title Zeal Without Burnout is a great title because we, we shouldn't be so frightened of the idea of burnout that we never work hard, uh, but we're actually called to be zealous. We're called to be hard workers. But he uses a phrase that he wants us to have a lifetime of sustainable sacrifice rather than an energetic but brief ministry that fades out in exhaustion. But Mm. I love that sacrifice is part of the deal, that that's something that a lot of the current emphasis on Sabbath is ignoring, that actually sometimes life is hard, and sometimes we make sacrifices. Paul talks about sleepless nights, and it doesn't mean that every night should be sleepless, but some of them will be. And we don't need to act surprised as if the calling of serving the Lord and serving his people is going to guarantee that we get eight hours of sleep every single night without fail.
2: Yeah. And even, you know, another verse we didn't talk about is Proverbs 31, right? Which talks about the woman who is worthy of of honor and respect. Yeah. And part of it is that she works really hard and she never seems to sleep, right? She seems that she's like up all night doing stuff, buying stuff, making stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, the point is that she is to be praised and part of the reason she used to be praised is because of her diligence. I got one or two maybe quick thoughts, and then I'm going to have Tyler get the last question. It's a big one. The question is going to be, how do we find biblical balance with these things? So uh, while you're preparing your answer, Tyler, I'm just going to say two quick thoughts. One is, you know, it's anecdotal. Somebody, I, I recently had an injury that laid me up and, um, you know, I'm a pretty active person, both, yeah. you know, in recreation as well as like work. I like working. And somebody kind of told me, Hey, you know, now that you're injured, this is a good time for you to like, do, just do something you want, like watch TV. And I'm like, yeah, but here's the problem. I actually like working, right? Like, I think that w- there's pleasure in, in work and moving the kingdom forward and in accomplishing things. On the other hand, you know, here's my, my other thought is that in Exodus 20 verses eight through 10, where it talks about the Sabbath, I always think this is interesting It literally, here's what the text says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor. And then on the seventh day shall be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. I mean, remember the context in which this is in. These people had been slaves. Slaves didn't get days off. Maybe other people in society didn't get days off unless they were at the top of the hierarchy. But here's the thing. To people who had never had a day off, the Sabbath was not a chore. It was a huge blessing and i think that that current infl- in our current attitude or current emphasis on sabbath being a blessing is a very good thing however i think that the the passage there should be taken very you know literally and that it says six days you shall labor right so sabbath day wasn't you're not taking two to three sabbath days a week we're taking a sabbath day and we are told in the passage to labor for six days and so I think we should take this in context a little bit. Yes. Sabbath is important, but don't rem- don't forget that other part, six days you shall labor and do all your work is what it literally says. Okay. Tyler, last question. How do we find the biblical balance in all of these things?
1: Well, you know, it, it's kind of funny because as I was preparing for this, you know, I kind of went through a cycle of, and I'm sure you guys have been there of, okay. You're kind of, you know, doing your inductive Bible study, you're, you're, you're pulling up Bible verses and, um, you know, it seems like God is making it very clear and easy for us to understand. You know, that's kind of like the first part of it. It's, it's very simple. We see this model of, you know, God created the universe in six days and he paused, he stopped and he rested on the seven. And that's the model by which we are to live our lives. And, you know, it's really simple. And so you, you kind of start searching for more and, you get to a point where you're like, ah, oh, maybe there is more to this, but you, you end up ending where you began, which is no, it's actually really simple. And, you know, I, I think we like to overcomplicate things a lot of times, perhaps out of boredom or searching for meaning. But I, I think that, I think it's really simple. It's, it's working six days and maybe that's not just with your career. Maybe it's working five days for your career a day at home, kind of doing chores, helping out, mowing the lawn, laundry, all, all that stuff, serving your neighbor. And then on the seventh day, just truly resting and honoring the Lord and, you know, thinking about all the things that he's done for you and, and resting in that. And as we were kind of talking about this and, and, and doing this podcast, I, I thought about a couple of things and, and I don't know how much time we have remaining because I, <laughs> I don't want to go too long here. But a couple of things are, okay, what are some obstacles that could get in the way of us following this model that God has provided for us? And then, you know, what are some practical ways to change if we're out of sync with that? And uh, I think one of the things that that I thought about is living outside of your calling. Now, I relate a lot of this stuff to me. This is just experiential. But when you're outside of your calling and you're you're in a career where it doesn't really fit your spiritual gifts, man, that can be really agonizing because you can work really hard, but people may not notice you're working hard because you're just not as effective at whatever it is that you're doing compared to others. And so for me, it was kind of funny. I was, I was in a career path that just wasn't suited for me. I was a company where my values didn't align with theirs. And I was trying to force something that just really wasn't there. And it wasn't until I I truly humbled myself and said, Lord, what do you have for me? I'm trying to do my own thing. Essentially, I was working for a company that was going to pay for me to go to law school, and it was everything I thought I wanted, except for it wasn't what God was calling me to. And and so that was humbling. I got into an industry where, perhaps like the pagans, I thought, this isn't the sexiest industry, so I own a a paint company, and the, the idea of you know, being in the construction industry when I was in finance and had a background in politics, like I said, it was just, it was humbling to tell my friends I was doing that, but it's been one of the greatest blessings that I've ever had for sure. And it's, it's, it's given me an opportunity to, to have influence over others. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of obstacles that could get in our way. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time there. Um, you know, maybe we can end at least this portion of the discussion on some practical ways where we can kind of make sure that we're aligning the way that we do life with the way that, you know, the father would like us to. So I, I think for one it is, you know, literally prioritizing your life. What What's the most important things? You know, for, for me, it's it's faith, it's family, it's business, it's friends. You know, those are my top four. And so We've all heard the analogy of the jar that you fill, right? And you fill it with rocks, like your biggest priorities first, no matter what, we have to have the rocks. And then you might put in some pebbles or something that's, you know, still important, but less, and eventually you fill it with sand and you fill it with water. Um, but I think writing it down and literally posting it on a mirror in your bathroom or on your desk at work or in your car, making sure like, it's just, it's just a friendly reminder. You know, that, hey, I'm working hard enough so that I need to rest. And, you know, I think there's a lot of beauty in that. And then kind of a last practical tip, and maybe the most important one, is to pray. And, you know, like, maybe to confess that it's hard. Like, Lord, like, I need to just line up my will with yours. And I continue to fight this. And I continue to seek what I want and not what you want for me. And so, Lord, I, I confess, you know, I confess that that is a struggle. Help me, you know, guide me. And, and he will. So hopefully that's encouraging and, it, you know, at least practical if this is something that you're wrestling with.
2: It's really good. Thanks, Tyler. That's good. I'm glad you ended it on those practical notes. So, Mike, Tyler, thank you guys so much for being on the program today. I will put links to those books and that YouTube video in the show notes for our listeners And guys, once again, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. If there's ever a topic you'd like to learn more about, there's a section on my website where you can submit questions and suggest topics for me to cover. That can be found at nickkatie.org. My next episode is going to be an Ask Me Anything episode where we've collected a couple questions that have been submitted in various ways, and I'm just going to be Uh, reading those and then responding to them. So make sure to tune in for that. And again, if you have any questions, we would love for you to submit them and we'll do future Ask Me Anything episodes. And so you can do that again, using the form that is on my website at nickkady.org. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That way, when new episodes are posted, they'll be delivered right to your podcast app. And if this episode was helpful, please share it with others. And if you would like to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is by leaving a written review on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify. Also on Spotify now, there's a way to to support the podcast if you'd like to do that. And anyway, sharing those reviews particularly helps the show to boost in their ratings and to work in their algorithm so that other people, when they're searching things online, they will stumble across this content more easily. So if you do that, I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, God bless you.